Hello and welcome to the Emotion of Web podcast where we take a deep dive into the human condition and today's topic is one that has interested me for a long time and actually gets a lot of kind of coverage in, uh, I guess in the, in the when I say the press, I don't mean the national press, but within kind of HR, learning, training type worlds, um, where we're going today gets, gets a lot of press. So looking to successful or elite sports people is a common thing to happen. Um, and one thing that I guess I don't necessarily always get to do personally is to hear what individuals stories and experiences are so I'm really excited to have our guest on today but before we get them on the air so emotion for me is something that can give give us an edge so it can give us extra energy it can give us extra determination or focus um, but it can also ruin performances and it can undermine choices that people make and it can be something that's used as a way to explain mistakes. So I quite enjoy watching kind of post-sporting event interviews where emotion is, men- is mentioned because sometimes it's mentioned as a as a catalyst or a enabler of performance and sometimes it's mentioned as the as a detrimental or a, a way that's undermined performance. So I'm really interested in, in kind of both. So for something that can have this duplicitous kind of effect, how do we make the most of it? So our guest today um, was a competitor at the highest level. So he's represented Team GB at the Paralympic Games in Rio 2016, uh, finishing fifth in the 81 kilogram weight category in his discipline. He won gold in his first competitive visually impaired championships in the US and won a bronze medal in the 2014 IBSA World Championships. And just saying that alone sounds really cool. So I can't quite believe that I've got our guest on today. Anyway, so let's get him on the air. So my guest today is Jonathan hello. or Jono Drain. So hello, Jono. So before we came on air, Jono said that um, my podcast sounded really professional, and I said to him that was like well, the off air. Did that sound all right? Yeah, that, that sounded, sounded a, a lot professional more professional than what I've incurred in the last ten minutes. <laughs> oh, that's good then. That's all right. As long as long as I managed to keep that professional kind of yeah. persona up for actually recording, that's all right. Um, <laughs> All right, so in a bit we'll get on to um, mm-hmm. kind of what you, you know, a bit more about you, John, and what you've done and what you've achieved and that sort of stuff. But before we get into that, as you'll know, as a as a regular listener to my podcast, did you know that everybody? I have a genuine, um, you know, medalist for our country that listens to my podcast. Just in case you hadn't picked that bit up already. Anyway, but I, what I normally do is um, I get our guest, I ask our guests a innocuous um, yet unexpected question. So uh, yeah. we'll open with that if that's okay. Wonderful. So, what has and it's a bit of a, I guess, a bit was of a that risky or risky? So, what's a fender? Oh, right. <laughs> risky. <laughs> <laughs> I, my professionalism would be ruined if I went for risque. Um, what oh, what's, what's offended, offended you recently? recently? Oh, that's a good one. Um, quite, it's interchange. It happens. It happens all the time. I think I don't go five minutes without being offended. That's just being so emotionally reactive. Uh, um, what's offended me? Okay, that's a difficult one. Oh, uh, I, I, just, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that, and I'm finding that really stressful to answer. But um, what's that's all right. Me the other... Um, I think well, one of the one of the big ones is is um, what would I say? Oh, so recently, oh Phil, I can't answer this. Yeah. Oh, that's all right. Don't worry. That's such a. I'll come back um, to that. So, so has anybody like crossed the line with you recently, or crossed any kind of um, boundaries or values? Do you know what? Of yours? I've recently um, 
decided to redo one of my um, GCSEs in math um, in maths because I wanted to have more GCSEs than I did have exclusions from school. So that's the reason why I've done it. But having going back okay. into the maths environment and the classroom environment, I realised how much people regress their childhood state, and that really irritates me. Like a lot of the times, the necessity for attention rather than. Uh, yeah, it's just the whole thing. Like, I just really? I don't want to be there any more than I have to. And when I'm listening to someone spout some rubbish just because they want somebody's attention rather than me learning, that really does my head in, and I find it very hard not to say something. Mm. Okay, is that? that's a good. That's a good one. I like that one. And so, and how you yeah, so behaviour aside, how are you finding kind of? Re, uh, re-engaging right. with GCSE um, maths. Yeah, no, it's been it's been interesting because I really do like so having sort of like taking a step away from the sport now. I really appreciate um, rational thinking, and maths is very much that. Like it's a step away from a person and into something which is a lot more objective. Although you know it's our understanding of math, but yeah, so I enjoy that. So I think there is a potential for me to get lost in maths. Okay, that's good. That's it. That, that, oh, see now I want to go and explore why. Now I mean that that kind of last thing you said about getting lost in maths. I wanted to go and explore that, but that's not the reason that we're here on the podcast today. So I will, um, I'll step away from that. Um, so what's uh, what's offended? Oh yeah, me I suppose we better recently. ask questions about you as well. It's not so all about me. Yeah, yeah, I should do that really as well, shouldn't I? Really? Um, so. Oh, I said. I, I suppose having asked the question, I probably should have thought about it some more before I um, before I would give my answer. Um, yeah, I've really I've, I've found the um, the stuff that's been happening recently around the Bradley Wiggins TUE yeah. exemption and the and the parliamentary report into it. I, I find that really interesting, and that that. That has kind of a that and some people's antics. I'm curious to ask, as in, in when you say some people who, like, are you like where who? So there was there, so there's one um, journalist in particular who's done a couple of pieces um, on it in in the past, and he, I can't remember yeah. his name. I'll have to dig out and put it in the show notes. Um, but he, I was I watched him being interviewed on um, Channel Four News. And I, I'm now, as I say this, I'm worried that I might have talked about this experience yeah. already. But anyway, we'll go. We'll go with it. Um, but I got really annoyed with um, the way that he was positioning stuff, and it was the, it was his use of language. So he was he was creating this an, an overall implication. Or, or, he was trying he was trying to create this overall impression of something, but he he wasn't actually able to cite any evidence or any specific mm. things to support his case. Um, but he was doing a wonderful job with his language of, of kind of trying Persuasive. to position something in a particular way. Mm. In, yeah, absolutely. And trying to, to, to you know, cast a, a particular perspective mm. on Team Sky and or Bradley Wiggins. And I've got no you know aff- affiliation or affinity to either of those entities, whether it be to Bradley Wiggins himself or to Team Sky. But the but the, this guy was doing a great job of positioning them in a negative light without having any evidence to support or back it up. Um, and, and that... I guess frustrated me and it's the same with the parliamentary report you know and I, I'm yet to read it so maybe I should caveat my um, my frustrations until I've actually read it but it seems to me there is a lack of evidence of any wrongdoing it's 
it's people's perceptions and judgments of whether someone else's actions at a time were appropriate or not. And bearing in mind the history that comes with the sport, I'm surprised that that such um, opinion-based views are made so yeah. kind yeah. of categorically, if that makes sense, without without real in-depth evidence or, or yeah, you know, to suggest one way or another. For me, it's like, we're not sure. We don't know. We don't know if they did or they didn't. We don't know what was in the package or not. Um, mm. But we think they've overstepped the mark. Well, that's great that you think it, but that doesn't... It's a, it's yeah, a... so I don't know. Yeah, it just does. It, it's, it's a tricky not one because well I remember watching it on BBC Parliament, and subst- most of the evidence there is a lack of evidence because the paperwork wasn't filled in, and then there was con- like the way that Team Sky would keep their sort of like keep the medicines or the doctor stuff was undocumented a lot of the time, and so on, and so there's no paper trail to prove either way. Yeah. But just because yeah. there's no evidence doesn't mean it's like it doesn't mean they're guilty. It doesn't mean they're anything like that. And a lot of these systems are imperfect, and it takes something like this to draw attention to it, and then make sure that procedure afterwards is done correctly, so that then none of this uncertainty happens. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. You know. And and if. You know, if, yeah. if, if they have, yeah, no, yeah, no, anyway, I'm worried about people who are litigious, and I'm concerned but, but about I, 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 <laughs> Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, for for me, it's been an it's a, it's been an interesting thing to to watch, and more, um, more. Inv- you know, for me personally, if I want to, you know, I, I I don't feel like I've I've read enough of the parliamentary report or enough yeah. of the case to be able to speak confidently. My experience with the TUE the... form, I had a TUE form, and it's not an easy thing to um, obtain. You have to go to a lot of physicians and so on like that to sort of like support your evidence of why you're taking something. So it's surprising that there is... But I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and so... So I guess that takes us into um, into into your com- your competitive um, world then. So you mentioned that you've, yeah. you've obviously you've stepped away from judo now. So how how long how long is well, was judo part of your judo life for? From club level to about 21, 20, yeah, sort of like that level, low levelish stuff. Um, um, so it's been yeah, I'm now thirty one. So it's been a massive part of my life for what about eighteen years, maybe? Yeah, eighteen years. Yeah. Yeah. And and you competed because part of your you know the, the yeah, Paralympic yeah. side of things is because you're visually impaired. And and is is that but that hasn't always been part of your life though, is it? Is that been that's been kind of your your sight has yeah, deteriorated, sort of like deteriorated over time, around the it? age of 24, but it went I think I'm just trying to recall on the in the facts, but it went unnoticed for a while as progressive things do. You don't really wake up one day and suddenly your sight's gone you kind of don't notice and then I kept getting increasingly mm. what's the word? I, it, people kept making increasing comments about how little I could see and so then I just went and had a routine eye check and that's when it sort of like things really started to get serious I remember being told I wasn't allowed to drive home because <laughs> I didn't meet the eyesight requ- requirements for um, driving yeah oh, I did wow. which actually shouldn't be an, can that be classed as an admission of guilt now or are we past that? <laughs> no. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, to, to use a US phrase, I don't know what the statute of limitations is on. 
We're doing well. We're going to get sued and convicted. And we've only been on the air for like 12 and a half minutes. Uh, uh, yeah. So in that case, yeah. And with that comes all kinds of what-ifs. Huge what-ifs as in terms of... So I was plumbing and do, um, I was a plumbing and heating engineer at the time. And driving is a large part of that. Okay. And so it just... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of what-ifs because all the education side of things that I had done were more or less pointless. And as I've explained to you, I didn't have the greatest of academic careers or anything like that. So it's not like I could easily jump straight back into university or anything. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, so how, how, how was that for you then when you, when you found out actually, you know what, this vocation that I've, that I've created and followed, I'm not going to be able to do anymore kind of emo- you know bearing in mind what i talk about a lot you know, oh, from an emotion point of view uh, how was terrible that? i would i wouldn't say that i cope particularly well at all um yeah no that no, was very challenging uh, it they, they, it's, it's it's the like is it okay. emasculinizing is that a word emasculinating yeah yeah so it's very it's very yeah. because like yeah. as in terms of me being in a relationship and everything like that um like that whole thing of being able to drive and the expectations placed on a man and everything like that, I, I was kind of like, am I going to be able to fulfil that sort of like that role? Um, yeah. But then over time, I've sort of like met a lot of great people and I realised how how shit those kind of perspective on things are. And that's not the case at all, that someone's value isn't determined by what expectations are set out by, I don't know, just culture. Yeah, yeah, by society or, or your mm. yeah, or expectations. Yeah. And and so how, how did that translate take me through that journey then from right, so I'm yeah, 24, yeah. 24 you said. Got it got over my routine I checked, told I can't drive home and for you know, for legal reasons we'll, we will leave we will admit the well, well, yeah. John did drive home. Um um so ha, ha, take me through that kind of from that point through to you then getting more involved with oh, okay. the uh, visually well, impaired judo. The initial, like, I think it was like, it was probably about a year and a half. So just because you can't drive doesn't mean that you are under the clinical um, diagnosis of visually impaired or the legal recognition, if that makes sense. So that there's a vast space between the driving okay. limits and of being um, clinically diagnosed visually impaired. So it was actually about a year and a half before I met the criteria for, um, say, classification in judo. So it wasn't, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, and and that added to the limbo side of things because as bad as it was, there's like the pressures and everything like that because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had the lifeliners in terms of people saw, what is it a potential in me being a visually impaired athlete but for that year and a half i wasn't of any actual value to them because i didn't meet criteria so that was very and there's also skeptic um there's also what's the word um it's uncertain as to whether i ever would be if that makes sense yeah i don't know how far uh, what, as, as bad. In, you know would my sight be that bad yes, that i would exactly, then be classified yeah. as visually impaired so you mean Wow. So like on, on one hand then, where you kind of like, I hope I'm my site doesn't get any worse, with also I yeah, hope it does. There's so many people who are in that sort of like borderline of things because one perspective, my quality of life will. So now that I've removed myself from judo, I realise what a massive inconvenience it is to have a visual impairment. And like with the like the okay. realis- realistics of working and everything like that and how, whereas with 
within the context of judo, you know, it was very little of a pro problem because I had a supportive infrastructure around me which accommodated and, and sort of like stepped in to help me with the bits which I couldn't manage. Yeah. Okay. And uh, um, what what would that mean, like in terms of kind of you trans you know, well, transport and getting one. around um, then? Or? That's a huge one. But then also it's like the emotional yeah. regulation side of things. So um, I'm sure you can appreciate facial expressions are okay. a huge part of understanding other people's emotions. And what, one of the interesting things was actually I started mm. to think that I was having hearing problems because an element of like listening is actually seeing people's lips move. So I think I can't remember there's an experiment where yes. they basically they take a video clip of a mouth moving to one word, but then play an audio clip, which is a different word. And there's some form of sort of like where the brain can't compute exactly what's going on. Yes, that's I think the one. it's called the yeah. And so that became a huge problem. I, I was increasingly struggling to hear what people say because my reliance on being able to see mouth was a problem also with my attentional problems it really become it became important that somebody said jonathan instead of just talk starting to talk to me they had like yeah just because just the way that information processing works so do you want to talk about that a bit more that um because you we, you mentioned about your you, you wanted yeah. to achieve more GCSEs than exclusions, um, and and you you, know, you mentioned about your attention challenges there. So do you want, for, I guess, for oh, the listeners' yeah. point well, of view, do you want to tell a bit more about what that, that is? It's the uh, old thing of um, attention deficit hyper disorder. Um, whether you believe in it or you don't believe in it, I imagine there's the difference between my mum liking you and probably wanting to punch you in the face. But um, as in terms of a lot of people are sceptical of whether it is or not, but... <sighs> So I, I'm on medication now, and part of that is a stimulant, and I can't tell you, so when my, my academic uh, experience was basically up until the age of 15, I was undiagnosed, and I was predicted all Fs in terms of my mm. GCSEs. Within the space of a year, going onto medication and people being aware of my problems, I managed to get seven Cs and three Ds, which probably to a lot of your listeners isn't a huge deal, but for me... Whereas I was just holding on to being able to sort of like do my GCSEs because of exclusions and so on. I actually then got 100% attendance within my final year and so on. So there is, I, but you shouldn't take my own my right. own subjective experience as fact. But yeah, I, I can't imagine not being on medication. So that I, I hope that some people understand how much I value the ability to have some control over what I attend to. And would would you mind if we yep. if we stick with, yeah, with the ADHD for a minute? Would that be okay? I know that wasn't I know that wasn't part of. Kind well, of I didn't actually read your so, um, your notes what, for this. What? So, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. so, the, so there was one question about ADHD, but but I guess what because the way that you you've just articulated is that yeah, or the what I heard should I say is that actually what the what I didn't yeah. have was control over my attention, whereas. You know, a lot of people can say, right, I'm going to focus on this right now or I'm going to concentrate well, on that or I'm going, you know... Let's take I'm that to segment to of what, what you've just says. said. You've engaged the working memory. So you've gone, I'm going to take this, I'm going to take this and I'm going to point it in this direction. Whereas for me, that, 
that 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 central executive role was so underdeveloped that I just basically intuitively did anything which came into my mind. I didn't hold the um, the ability to sort of like contrast, compare, and do things like that and work out what was right or what was wrong. I just did whatever felt the suit in that given second. So yeah. And, and if that was to walk out of the well, classroom or to uh, uh, say what you were thinking or whatever, children, then that would just so like happen. the adolescence or anything like that. Um, so if we talk about like a, a teenage boy, well, teenage boys are impulsive as it is. So I know that people are going to say that, but I generally felt overwhelming remorse every time I did something bad. But I didn't have the ability to one my self awareness. I didn't even. I'm using this word now, but that's something that I've only discovered in the last five years. Um, at the time, I just did whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and so and how did how does that how did that then affect you emotionally? It's emotionally? very difficult because you, uh, the sense of awareness isn't there. So you know, like problem solving, it, you have to be aware of something in order to go through like the understanding and the influence process. But in, I didn't. I wasn't All aware. Right. Emotion was something which was me rather than what happened to me or, and so on. Oh, huge. So was it just unregulated in that way? Whatever, you, whatever, you, whatever you felt just came out without any filter Massively, or, or uh, anything yeah. else kind yeah. of applied to it. What? How was that for relationships? <laughs> I don't mean like sexual. Well, let's like touch on that. I that mean, sounds brilliant. Uh, you know, just <laughs> interacting, like, interacting with other, with people. With other so people. I was reading something about autism, and um, autism is a huge spectrum. And one of the issues that they struggle with is sometimes, like a lot of relationships are built on shared attention. So my ability to find common ground with you is that we have some similar grounds in terms of shared attention. We both attend to a certain topic and that we then enjoy exchanging in our own perspectives on that sort of thing, if that makes sense. But if we were to go back to my unregulated self, I had no ability to pay attention to one thing for any particular length of time. So when it comes to sharing experiences and everything like that, I had nothing to bring to the table. I just had an ability to cause controversy or entertain people by my inability to cope with simple things. Mm. Wow. And and so how did that translate into the ring then? So because I, I imagine like when when you're and, you know, and I guess I'm asking this from yeah. you know pre visual impairment to post. So I'm asking it for for both perspectives. But you know. It has recently changed, but it's now five minutes. And if there isn't a deciding score, then it goes into something which is golden score, and that's um, unlimited time until the next person makes um, a score. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, how how long when you when you first you know when you first started? How how, how long um, was the fight then? Was it less or more? Was it less or more? well, so so I guess where I'm going is that I, I I'm you know so to, from a certain point so what's behind my question is from a certain point of view, if you struggle with that, you know to hold your attention in one place, and then whatever you're mm-hmm. thinking or feeling just kind of comes out. I mean I'm intrigued as to how that would translate into the ring for say a Great. five minute or yeah six that's a good question or four minute or however long yeah. it was. Well, because that, that element of things. How, how did that? pleasantly were easy i don't know why but i was able to attend to something so enable so um explicit um so explicitly i was was able to focus on judo but implicitly um then also being able to learn social rules and everything like that the things which are going on in the background if that makes sense so then i'm interacting with people more 
and whilst I'm focusing on something constructively, then I'm reinforcing constructive behaviour. Yeah. Okay. And did you find the ADHD kind of, did it affect you when you were fighting as, or, or, or not? Were you able to, was that a context where you were able to, to actually be more one of the, One of the things is that we talk about, and I think you almost wanted to touch on it earlier, is in terms of being lost, when I referred to being lost in math, um, almost a state of flow. And like, like one of the requirements for a flow state yeah. is that loss of, um, that central executive role, that whole thinking and everything like that, uh, it, things just make sense. It's like that serendipitous sort of like, what is it that that to, the self being dissolved? Anyway, because I didn't, I didn't have that. Then that intuitive yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean. nature was second. It was my primary default. I could always be intuitive. So when um, like with judo, because it requires such instinctive roles, it was a lot more easier to do that. I was a lot more suited, if that makes sense. Ah, uh, okay. But having terms of strategy yeah. and tactics, I was so rubbish. You... Yeah. Okay, so so if you had, you know, so it, it was much more. You would just go with how how the, how it felt in the fight, rather than right. I am going to, uh, I'm going to deliberately oh. spend the first minute and a half doing evasion and and you know and, and drawing them in not, and then I'm going to go on yeah, the counter I did not appreciate that I until felt. the last 18 months of my career like yeah massively like I okay. that whole strategy tactics analytical approach whereas before it was just kind of like throw or be thrown yeah okay okay um all right, so I'm going to jump forward in time again now. Then, so so your 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 vision deteriorated to the point where you could then yep. get the classification to be visually impaired, um, and then but you were already kind of on a watch list for want of a better phrase, were you then for for Team GB? Did, was, had you already been had like yeah. a tap on the shoulder to say classification? If then, you get that quality, yeah, you get just that classification. because that, one of the assumptions I think the erroneous assumptions was that if you were a good judo player. You would be that would transfer across to being a good visual impaired judo player, which I, I from experience yeah. and continue, I don't think is necessarily the case. I, I, I do, I see the two sports as very different, okay. both physiological and mental wise. Well, Ooh, so this is an interesting that. one. One of the problems I had was when I tore, so I, I, I tore my ACL, which means more or less that I was out for about 12 months with rehabilitation and everything like that. And one of the one of the situations okay. that occur from that is like it's problem solving. So instead of like me sitting around and going, Oh, I can't do this, it was about what can I do? And so one of the things we identified was the the fact within a VI judo fight, I have to start gripped up. If that makes sense. So with 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 sighted judo there's okay. a lot of off the yeah, grip yeah, stuff yeah, and so yeah. on. So I am automatically like using my muscles for five minutes rather than, say, a, a non-visual on pair things, where we're probably engaged for about 30% of the fight. VI judo, you're engaged 100% of the fight. So all, and, and so contextual-wise, wow, the okay. physiology in my body is totally different to what I would have experienced as a sighted player. So then suddenly, when it comes down to thinking critically in the moment, it's a totally different context. 
And and what what would that mean? Like, would you need more strength? So physiology-wise, what or... we used to do was um, so you know, like so for, we draw on your running experience. You, um, that lactic acid buildup. Yeah. So what we wanted to do was try yeah. and um, synthetically create that exposure to that sort of like state, like that high intensity of the arms and everything like that. So we started using um, occlusion training. So we would um, wrap. It, it, it sounds almost say, um, well, is it S and M like? But we'd wrap, we'd wrap, um, we'd wrap sort of like okay. belts, like sort of like straps around our arms to restrict blood flow, and so that our body couldn't um, get rid of the lactic acid buildup as quickly. And so then we would do our like our circuit training with that. So we'd get this massive increase pooling of blood in our um, in our arms, and because our arms is what is where the yeah. main physical demand is within the visually impaired judo. But then all during that, I'm then having to think, well, what's my process? But it's so hard to do that when you're thinking, oh my God, my arms are going to fall off. And so, yeah, it's finding that. So yeah. it's, the, it's, the, it's creating this stretch as opposed to the overstretch, that optimization. Of, so that in training, it would be so hard that when I went to tournament, it'd be, it wouldn't be as hard, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and so and what the, and that I guess mm. that link between the physiology then yeah so like, I feel like my arms are going to fall off and the, how, how does that affect you cognitively then you know so either from well in between the trips to the bin where I vomited um, <laughs> but that was that was so good so all, okay. in the end although I we started so we would use so then we started to introduce visualization techniques. So I, I'm, I'm not completely absent of sight, and I, I need to stress that there's a lot of difference between visual impairment and, um, um, like, n- no light perception at all. Um, so, like, I would stand in front of a TV, yeah. um, TV and watch particular fights where there were similarities between them and the people who I would likely fight at the Paralympics. And so I would be having to mentally rehearse what my process okay. would be under this, this sort of, like, physiological response to the exercises and everything like that so again and one of the other things was to encourage transfer was that i'd hold a judo suit and sort of like just practice what my gripping strategy would be and so on and like that yeah yeah okay oh it was good fun it was good fun it was tough and and whilst people like you're always going to get arguments of whether the scientific benefits or anything like that are are there but as in terms of a placebo either the fact that i was doing something and it was judo related under the fact that i couldn't because i was injured do actual judo like it allowed me to feel positive about how things were moving and how i was developing Yeah, because I, I I can imagine you know, and uh, sometimes I have my armchair psychologist psychologist moments. So if I try, <laughs> if I if I do one of my armchair psychologist moments, having having had, you know, your mm-hmm. you know, having lost some of your sight, also then and then find something that you enjoy, but then having to lose that again for a year, I can imagine emotionally that would that would have been yeah. quite well, tough I, I'm, to kind of get your I'm head around. Quite open about talking about mental health, and I think it's a lot more common. <laughs> Uh, one of the things I'll go off on a tangent, but it's not the fact that that because um, I so I really appreciate yeah, what you do as in terms of the emotion side of things, and I sit there and sometimes I think that how complex emotions are and how difficult it is to articulate them. But then I'm thinking it's not an absence in the language available; it's an absence in the opportunity to, v- to develop your use of emotion language and so on and to make sense of what's happening to you. 
Um, and, and again, like it was so uh-huh. as much as and much of a shit situation the injury was. My goodness, I was able to make grounds up in areas that I would never have addressed. And so my game, I still stand the day. Even though on paper most of my achievements came before the injury, I was a better player after the injury by far. Like unrecognisable. But again, like the the, yeah. the awkward thing which happened was I tore my ACL eighteen months before the games, and then two months before the games I tore the other ACL. But I didn't have long enough time to have the rehab or the surgery, so I had to fight with a torn ACL. So again, so we're not just talking about the you're talking about the fact that I tore my ACL for eighteen months out. That was a huge emotional thing. So I had a bit of a breakdown, and then two months out again, I went and did it again. And that, that's so, so challenging not to make yourself feel like a victim. Mm. Yeah. So, how, yeah, course, so yeah. Can, I, can I explore that? So how, how was that then? How did you kind of... So yeah, two months yeah. out from... Was it from Rio, yeah? So two, two months out from Rio, you just you just done the same injury yeah. that knocked you out 18 months ago yeah. that you've taken a year to recover from. Finally back in the ring, finally getting back fighting and getting fit again, getting ready for yeah. arguably the biggest competition of your life. Well, it's so interesting. Like, so the mindsets the were different from the two. So the first one, which was the 18-month was, um, I remember having a discussion with my friend and we the sole philosophy was that we would hit... Because like, <clears throat> what is it? I'd be back how many months? Six months before the Games. Um, and basically that's already eaten into a yeah. large amount of the preparation. So it would have been hitting the ground running. Right, so whatever happens, as soon as I get the go-ahead that I can compete and train again, I would already be running, if that makes sense, as metaphor. Whereas when it was too much yeah, before yeah. the game, it was just like this uncertainty, it became even more uncertain. Like It was so hard and it, essentially it just came, what was it? What I, Amazing comment made by someone recently and they were talking about a ski jump. I think it was from a TV series, but he was saying, and this is all I wanted, and this was so... My the realistic the, the realistic expectation of me meddling went out the window, um, um, but it was a case of just giving luck the best mm-hmm. chance, um, and so continuing all the good work. But he described it as a bad day was going to be one where I worried about the outcome. A good day would have been where I thought about the process, but the perfect day would have been where I thought about nothing at all. And referring back to the flow state, it was just like whatever. I, I it's the it's it, that yeah, uh, acceptance yeah. of the uncontrollables, and just going. Ah, oh, I'm just going to go for it. I just want to have one day where that internal critic of how how things don't necessarily go how I want them to or anything like that just disappeared. And I, I it was a day. Well, I didn't worry about what people thought. I just was like, I'm just going to just. This is my mm-hmm. day. And so, in a sense, I achieved everything I wanted to achieve that day, even though. Uh, superficially a medal was my goal and my expectation Mm. okay and and what uh, I guess you didn't reach that that moment of acceptance where you were like you know what you know as long as I come out of it where you know I'm I'm not going to think about the process and I'm not going to think about um yeah, the other things I'm just going to kind of go and well, enjoy. The, the, the enjoy like, there's so many bad but, connotations um, with it. It's like that whole um, attitude of it's not the um, winning that matters, it's the taking part that counts. Rah, yeah, yeah. Uh, of course you want to win. And like everything about me, but that that never disappeared. Of course, I would have broken my body again just to have won that medal. 
But it's finding value in a shit, shit, um, a shit situation, isn't it? Yeah, and like there's so much heartache. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and how did you find that value then? Uh, what was the, either what was like what was the self talk? What was the pro? You know what? Were, you know, I didn't how, have how time. Did like, so prior to the games to, and during the games, point. I didn't have the time. And I, and bearing in mind I'd suffered with mental health issues prior to that, um, I always thought it was really confident of the. Um, them to put me on the 13th floor in the village <laughs> I thought oh there's some confidence there <laughs> but <laughs> but um, yeah no it come long after and it was uh, do you know what it was Joe Fraser I read a statement about Joe Fraser and so many times and this is I, so Joe Fraser um, in his own right was Olympic gold medalist in boxing undisputed heavyweight champion of the world for three years but most people wouldn't if they know Joe Fraser they know him for Muhammad Ali uh, and the fight, um, which every, okay. if anyone really has paid any attention, the greatest fight of all time was the Fulham Manila, uh, where Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali, I think Muhammad Ali won on technical knockout in the 15th round. But anyway, Muhammad Ali, everyone knows about. But Joe Frazier said, Ali always used to say, how um, comment on how I would be nothing without him, but who would Muhammad Ali have been if it wasn't for me? And for me, like that's such a powerful thing, as in terms of okay. being yeah, pa- yeah. a working part in a bigger picture than just Jonathan Drain. It's human progress. So F- Fraser and Muhammad Ali together demonstrated how far the limitations of the human body could take a punch. <laughs> and it's the same thing. Like I'm so proud yeah. that w- part of the measurement of the people who were on the podium that day, I was part of that measurement, like of their success. I the fact that I yeah. turned up required required that then then to have to step up and you know and it's it's a wonderful yeah. so like that and then i think about loads of things and that applies to and it's so under it's such an undervalued perspective on the value of trying like if we go back to the thomas edison analogy we always commonly associate thomas edison with excellence because or the necessity of failure as in terms of he was it suggested that nine thousand failed experiments before he invented the light bulb yeah, but what if, like, so yeah. hypothetically, like, what if those 9,000 experiments don't always come from the one person? What if it's distributed across a load of people? They're all doing their 9,000. Not all of them can invite, invent the light bulb, but each one of them is, through going through these experimentations of addressing uncertainty, they learn, they adapt, and they implement it. So, and they, and it's the same thing with a sport. By my failures, people learn through, and so hopefully you pass the bat on on to the next generation. I could tell you a million different ways of how how to fail. <laughs> no. mm. And hopefully, yeah. No, I like that. Well, I hope there's something, some sense in what I've just vomited. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, no, there is. Absolutely there is. Absolutely there is. So, um, if I, can I get really specific again about the, and this time I want to get really specific about, you know, when you were of course. in the ring, whether that be, and I guess you, you, and you, it might be interesting to think about this, you know, did your strategies change, you know, pre-visual impairment to, to after, but, um, or I guess pre-site deterioration to after, but in terms of the, how is, how is emotion viewed you know, so in your experience, how was emotion viewed in judo? Was it viewed as oh, a, it's a limitation. limitation or? Um... Yeah, um, I, I think that's poor understanding okay. of what it, what emotion is, though. I think you touched on it earlier, where you, it's like it's a relationship to flow, like that, that like arousal is, so, you know, like arousal is very much a part of emotion, isn't it? 
And so like one way of accessing that is by understanding emotion. And so you can, and with arousal in terms of sporting performances, although I know that there's better models and everything like that, is it the inverted U hypothesis, which is like, there's an optimum peak performance occurs for, it varies from individual from individual, especially within context, but it's like finding your peak performance in with, and correlating that with levels of arousal. And so emotion, it's like when I listen to music, if I feel something, that's because I'm emotionally reacting to it. And so, like, it seems to be such yeah. an untapped resource because of, particularly within the male framework, uh, it's not okay for me to talk about emotions unless it's anger. <laughs> uh, um, it's it's just not okay, yes. and hopefully that's changing. I, I, I think that that's a huge limiting factor in terms of human potential is that we avoid this talk and we replace any emotion with, from a male point of view, with anger. But I, I just think it's such an untapped, yeah. untapped element of things. So if you if you had advice for a for some for a fighter then so let's say you I mean you might coach I don't know but let's say you were coaching and you know some I don't how, advise, how would you advise their own ju- to, um, so one of the things um, from a coaching point of view now is this like um, the person centered approach so rather than because remember just because I did things a certain way doesn't mean it's the right way and so as in terms of giving people I just facilitate their own their own growth growth and understanding so by essentially prompting certain questions and stuff like that. I, I, I hope to maybe guide them in a direction, but it's essentially, it comes down to them. And I, I really yeah. don't have a right to, to contaminate their learning, if, if that makes sense. Referring back, yeah. And, and so that's that. So that yeah, person approach is just like, yeah. it's their own journey. If they want to learn it this way, whether they want to understand why they respond this way, they want or But what right do I have to suggest that anything is right or wrong? Apart from as long as it operates within mm. the rules. So, so I, I guess then any, anybody that you're coaching could either be one, they could either take a view where yep. I'm going to take all my emotions into the ring if that's what they want to do and then you'll you'll kind of support them with that or i'm gonna i'm gonna you know work really hard to leave my you know leave my emotions at the edge of the mat and and, and not take them on with me and, and you'll just work whichever which yeah yeah and it comes so it's, i guess it's hard to articulate because it's just a natural progress whether they want to go that way i'm not saying either way is right although i, I um no, no, no. It's that, yeah. uh, it's that. It's the journey, and they have ownership over that. I don't have any right to sort of like tell them otherwise. But I, I, I can always. I, I see my role in, in anything, even as a, a prospective father, is that I provide uh, a source of information, but that doesn't give me the right to tell you what information you should listen to. Mm. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm overstretching to have mm. something constructive to say about this. <laughs> No, no, it's fine. That's all right. So, so did you did you in use emotion? Eighteen again. Did... In the eight, so I can't. I don't like to comment in terms of anything. Eighteen months prior to the games, because I don't think I was particularly well, and a lot of that was with how I dealt with emotion. Yeah, but okay. um, and up until this point now, it's still a progressive journey. I, I still respond very. Very in it, it, the emotion ha- uh, before yeah like anything it, it's already happened before I can spot it. Um, but my appreciation of how well it can be used is like just with anything like from your realm of things about information gathering. But that's essentially what we're all doing. And I did come across a great example of the use of emotional strategic use of emotional intelligence with Bjorn Borg. 
Oh, yeah. And I read this, and this, I thought okay. it was a fantastic example. Although, there, there's an interesting twist to it. So, Bjorn Borg, I think it was the Madison Square Masters, um, 400,000 um, pound prize money, and he was playing John McEnroe. And, um, well, John McEnroe, okay. anyone who knows him, he, he favours the fast game. So he wants the quicker turnaround between serves because that's the style of player he is. And so what Bjorg did, didn't, mm. well, did was he decided to slow down the game. So he even, I think, got a few time um, infringement penalties as well. And in that, he threw McEnroe off his oh, game really? hugely yeah. and Bjorg won. But in the, in the sporting context, Bjorg is, is he's, he's the... The olden version of Roger Federer, the Iceman. He showed no, no emotion. But then in personal life, yeah, okay. um, I think he bankruptcy, divorce, and everything like that. So it's just interesting to see how emotional intelligent people operate emotionally intelligent in one domain doesn't necessarily transfer over to another. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I guess that that's one of the things I'm interested in from you know in in that world of sport in terms of whether you're encouraged to to feel and express those emotions or whether the encouragement is to, you know, kind of mm. control them and minimize them. Um, you know, and, and then if, but then if I put you in a different context, does it, does it work differently? So would you work, would you work yeah. with your, when you were competing, would you work with your emotions in a different I, way well, ma- when you were mainly because fighting um, data wise, I lost fights when I got emotional. I lost. I lost so many. So oh, one of right, my okay. last sighted events was the British Nationals in Sheffield. That must have been 2013. So that was one of my last sighted events. And um, basically, all I'd ever wanted in my career was to have a national medal at that at, at sighted. Yeah. And so I qualified out of the yeah, pool. Okay. Um, so in the tournament, and so I went into the final pool. By qualifying and going into the final pool, I was guaranteed a bronze medal. So then the rest of my fights were basically okay. whether that medal would be bronze, silver or gold. Well, in the first fight of that thing, um, it would have been a long day. I was, so the eyesight deterioration was happening. I was struggling to see with the light and everything. And the, the boy started kicking off during my... By kicking off, he was arguing, he was talking during... And that's generally frowned upon. And um, I accidentally caught him in the face. Okay. <laughs> And to this day, I still I still can't outrule the fact that I didn't punch him. Uh, but, but just because the, the whole intention. And then, okay. um, so his nose, I don't think I did. It, it was just because the way the fight was doing. I, I just, I went to throw my grip on. I got the depth perception on. I hit him in the face. But then after that, I the, the, because of the nature, there was blood and everything like that. My arousal went through the roof. And I began to focus on the fact that if the fight had to stop more than three times, he'd lose the fight. And then my medal, so I'd win the fight. And then, so ethically-wise, right. I don't think that I responded. So he, he was taped up, and I, I, I might have focused a bit on removing that tape. Um, in the, and I got disqualified, and yeah. I lost my bronze medal, even though uh, <laughs> the only way I could have um, lost that medal was by being disqualified from the whole tournament. And that happened, because I let my emotions get the better of me. Yeah. Oh, Wow. That wasn't where. No, that no, wasn't no. Where I so I, yeah, and I, I couldn't. I just that that I couldn't contain that thing. And so, like one of my my coach and um, Howard Oates, who I work I worked closely with for years, um, he knows that 
it's like my, 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 my level of arousal happens instantaneous. It's not something which just progressively comes on. I just, I can go from zero to 10 within the split of a second. And so the, he knows the key okay. part of me going into tournament is to be joking and laughing because otherwise I'll spike too quickly, too early. And so part of his role was trying to regulate and dampen down my responses to things. Mm. Mm. So oh, definitely. It's, well, it's not as bad as the flu, um, the loss at the Paralympics. Uh, <laughs> that one hurt. Um, but yeah, it's an element of regret, but there's an element of growth there as well as in terms of my understanding of myself and how I responded. Um, <laughs> it's one of many times I've cocked up. So, <laughs> and, uh, but you said, so you said mm, not that one hurt a lot because previously I... So... The Korean who I lost to in the semi-final, uh, again, I, sh I couldn't really throw because of my my knee. Um, but going into the bronze, my yeah. bronze fight, my strategy was to get the guy penalised out of the fight because I'd fought him two years prior and he'd been disqualified because he kept breaking off the grip. And um, if okay. anyone wants to watch me lose and have my heart broken, they can watch it on YouTube. But... Um, he so in judo you need four penalties. If they get four penalties, they're they're um, disqualified. And in the last grip exchange, okay. um, well prior to the last grip exchange, Rovsham or Safarov was on um, three penalties and he'd just broken off again. So which should be a penalty. But instead of giving us both a penalty, so I was on two penalties. He was on no, I was on one penalty. He was on three penalties. He should have been. Um, disqualified. We should have both been given a penalty. I didn't. I was only on one, so I'd have been on two, so I'd have been fine. He would have been on four, but instead, because they didn't want to, they didn't want the fight to end yeah. that way. They didn't give him the penalty. They just gave me the penalty. And then, but I can't argue too much because after that, he then got hold of me and then threw me. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. But that I remember that like that was one of the hardest things. Was like like the adrenaline of being returned to the center and thinking. He's done. He's done. There's no way they can't give him the penalty. And then them giving me the penalty, not giving him a penalty. And I'm just like, what? Well, and then uh, again, like it went into the yeah. next fight, um, the next grip, like we call it a Jimmy Mate start. And um, he threw me. Uh, I don't think it was because I was distracted, but that was very hard to sort of like not like, assume, yeah, as soon as he let go, I, my, my, my arousal level went up because yeah. I was like, he's done for. He's done for. Mm. So when you say it hurt, what 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 bits or what bits about it? Well, hurt? I think most of us have sold this whole narrative of um, how we expect to be the star of our own film. You know, like when anything like adversity or anything like that, we're conditioned to expect. You know what? This is, this is if it's going to happen to anyone, I, I'm do a good. I'm a. It's got. I'm due some luck. And then it was just this harsh realization yeah. that ah. So, and it's over and you're just like four years oh. and so like, again it just takes some time to process and essentially what it comes down to is was it worth it and I'm like with every single ounce of my body I can honestly say yeah and not necessarily because a fifth place or I'm going to break no it's because the people I met the, the, the level of understanding I gained from how I operate and I just think it's so nice to have a purpose 
Uh, so yeah, to wake up every morning to think, right, how can I get better? How? Mm. And there's this analogy about the rowers. I can't remember what Olympics was leading up to, but basically a year out from the Olympics, they decided that every single thing what happened, the question would be, will it make the boat go faster? So, and, and I just thought, oh, and yeah. just having that that element of refinement and analysing, and it just, it's, yeah, it's one of the pleasures of life. So do, do you, have you replaced what you did have then with something now? So do you, do you have that kind of that purpose and that focus, but in a different yeah, way now? Yeah. You're not um, well, one of the things which is why I was so attached to judo is because it was what I believed the only thing I could ever pay attention to. Um, pay attention to. Um, and so I and so like with all yeah. those sort of elements where my knee rip, like felt a bit, I'm so scared of losing the one thing which makes me human or makes me who I am because I could pay attention to it but then what over like the 18 i realized i could pay attention to so many things like i started to have this control over things so one of the one of my interests now is chess i flip and love chess um it doesn't mean i'm any good at it but the most people who enjoy whiskey couldn't tell you how it's how like them how to make it <laughs> but it's also like like the, the chess element is everything i never had it's like that 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 go back to the central executive that ra- that that rational thinking yeah, but don't absolutely. think for a second yeah, that yeah. they're not devoid of emotions like one of my like my key so last two years a guy called Gary Kasparov and he won the world championship 13 times he's if you he's synonymous along with um Fisher and um Spassky these two were uh, massive chess players as well but he he seems to have the perfect balance of emotions. He uses emotion so intelligently to enhance his thinking. Uh, and that's not something we commonly associate with chess. We kind of think of, t- I like these automatons, they're, they're pu- purely, yeah, purely rational yeah, thinking. Yeah, yeah. But no, he used that. And like another thing which I enjoyed about him was that he used to go to the gym because he, like the length of chess, and this is what I, I talk about, like f- how do I make the boat go faster? He made sure that he was physically fit as well as mentally fit because he knew that chess matches go on for days, um, like tournaments go on for days and so on and so on. So he knew, and constantly refining the way that yeah, he yeah. could better think. Um, yeah, and it took a um, IBM's deep, um, deep blue to beat him, the computer. Uh, yeah. Mm, yeah. And so are there, are there any or, or what sort of strategies that you learned either through... Yeah, through where? What stra- so what strategies did you? So we, sorry, let me try that again. <clears throat> so it, where I'm going with this is, so there's this kind of narrative that mm-hmm. business can learn from sport. So I, I'm now interested in. So what what have you learned from sport that you've now brought outside? Not necessarily into business, but what did you learn kind of from your experiences with competing, and with kind of competing at the highest level, and how how has that? Have you translated that over into? Well, first of all, I I think one of the important things to appreciate is that we often think context as uh, a fixed state, but context is fluid. So it's it's always changing. So the person who I thought I was, so say I went and did something and I failed or I succeeded. That doesn't define me because the context is all me, myself, I'm changing. So is the context. So it's Mm -hmm. it's that. But it's also the way that I approach the term failure i don't think failure is a correct term to use i I like the concept of hit and misses and so when you refer to it as a miss i think you remove a lot of that anxiety of what 
I might be a failure or anything like that. But by miss, you think, well, what can I improve? How? So one of the things was what was good, um, what could have been better, and how can I make that better? And so every time it's like you're reinventing yourself, yeah. not completely. I mean, it's about the tweaks. I mean, you shouldn't just because one, you shouldn't suddenly flip it in the other direction and change everything. It's about just slowly the one percent day to day just moving because what is it? 365 days in a year, even if it was one percent every week, that's 52 percent increase. And so it's about that refinement and yeah. how you look yeah. at things. But also it's about understanding people and how they respond to things. Um, but in order to do that, you have to understand yourself first, um, taking the human element of things. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think it's like yeah. that, and it's it's about finding. Um, you you read a lot of research, and I think so. This is quite a strong statement, but I do think that science, to a degree, has castrated intuition. Um, I know that there's a bad side of intuition, um, intuition as in terms of racial bias and so on like that. I don't obviously can I condemn that completely, but. If we're waiting for science, shouldn't um, lead, um, say from a coaching element or what, shouldn't lead. It should go. It should guide. Mm-hmm. It should be a guide. Yeah. It should be stood behind and sort of guide. So you shouldn't overstretch from the bounds of what science can prove. You should, you know, and and, and that's the, the way I think that things should go. It's about finding that golden mean, that balance. Yeah, because it's quite a challenge, especially with a lot of. Um, either with a lot of both, you know, whether it be social science or, or psychological science, um, yeah. So if I think about those two realms that that, um, that we're looking at, often those experiments are done in very specific settings or looking at very specific parameters or looking really specific, you know, or looking at a particular thing, which often sits part of a wider system. So, you know, I I I absolutely you know position myself as a an as an evidence-based practitioner so you know but that said i I can't say that um so this this is where i'm agreeing with you in in that um i can't say just because i am a uh, an evidence-based practitioner that i then use the same solutions or approaches everywhere i go because that's just not the case there needs to be a mix of the two you know it's not always about just what the research or what the science can tell us um because Every context, like you said, context changes. Context is shifting all of the time because thing A worked in context one doesn't mean that thing A will work in context two or three. Yeah, and, and the working parts change. So as soon as somebody else comes in, so like when I draw back to the Bjorn Borg element, what he would have changed the strategy according to, say, McEnroe, uh, <laughs> If Federer stood in front of him, he'd had a totally different approach to the game. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it's that it's that a continuous adaptability. But whilst I'm stood here and I'm trying to define myself as a person as being successful or non-successful, I'm also not adapting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. 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 But it's interesting with you because, like you said, like there's a lot I, I understand with emotions and intelligence. There's a lot of psychometrics available. But like again, with like because so I'm always an advocate of someone like yourself because even though you are human and whatever you do is subject to fallible, but you're a lot more adaptive in your approach than a psychometric test or questionnaire is. Yeah, your ability. Yeah, I I don't. I'm not. That's quite a broad. Obviously, it's my opinion, but I just I I'm sometimes skeptical of like how the language can really how yeah how useful or accurate it can be. But then, mm. No, but, you know, so, so psychometrics is something, I had a really interesting discussion with somebody at an event last week 
when they were they were espousing the reliability of um, of a particular psychometric, and I was like, just don't buy it. Which means just don't buy it. So just don't buy it. Well, it's amazing. The one aspect is that if people do buy it, they're going to employ more people who have the desirable characteristics and in doing so then they increase the number of people who are in those positions of yeah. which they're trying to prove that again like it reinforces it in the wrong way as in terms of the evidence yeah and it becomes a real challenge because you know what i said to him was you know whether I, whether i like it or not if i am filling in a a psychometric questionnaire especially if it's a personality questionnaire for a job i am going to want to put myself across in the best possible light Mm-hmm. Um, and the response was yeah but what I can then do is I can look at those items where you paused for longer you know which items did you answer really quickly which items did you pause for longer and I was like okay so what are you kind of implying then well if you're having to think really hard about some items more than others then that might suggest that um, you you want to you know you're answering that in a way that isn't quite authentic and I was like okay well, but there, couldn't there be lots of other reasons why I take longer answering particular items I don't understand your question. Um, uh, I'm not sure which of those options to choose from. You know, is it rarely mm. or is it often? Oh, I'm not sure actually. Also, the person. Often, uh, you know. Yeah. Go on. What one of the other interesting things is? It's like the same thing with um, performance or the IQ test. What what? Just because I perform a certain way at one given point doesn't mean that that's the the a complete assessment of my ability or you know like mood can directly affect perception yeah, so absolutely. my perception of myself might be disordered and so on like that. so when we talk about the ability to be adaptive uh, yeah it's just it's just interesting there's so many flaws and like that that fixed definition of things or like the framework or measurement instrument used it's just it's a bit sometimes it risks an oversimplification yeah yeah mm. Okay, all right. So um, I'm going to start to bring it together then. In terms yeah. of um, what uh, mm, I was going to go off, I was going to go away and think about something else. And yeah, so what what have been um, the the biggest kind of learnings for you then for for your time competing? What have been the the main kind of yeah? What are the biggest learnings for you from your time in competition? Uh, I think it's the importance of trying. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I do think trying says a lot. It's referring back to the whole thing of like taking, uh, recognizing yourself as a working part to something much bigger than yourself like what your contribution and whatever you you push like when you try you push it's like like say that somebody wants a null hypothesis because in some way it just it it, it provides uh, a significant relationship between two things that's what everyone wants because then obviously they gain an element of notoriety but then also improving that something doesn't work is just as important yeah. because you prove you provide another another night one of those nine thousand ways how to not do something and it guides future understanding but it's just again with our understanding of what it is to make have a useful life or contribute to something it's um that 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 social recognition fab thank you anything else um yeah yeah, I suppose how 
irritating people are because I spent so much time. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, just yeah, just just how gross men can be hygienically and so on. A particular shout out to my friend Christopher Skelly, and he'll know exactly the multiple ways that he can make he can trigger my gag reflex. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah, we, we definitely won't go there. You know, any no, any, no. any professionalism that I had left would be completely lost if we, if we, if we went there. Yeah, so as we worked our way through, I've been catching the notes on um, on the different things we've talked about, so the inverted U curve and um, that sort of stuff. But is there any particular books or um, videos or anything that you would particularly recommend, um, you know, kind of for, for people based on your experiences of, of things that you've either read or, or watched that have been really helpful, useful or beneficial for you? Yeah, well, I'm always going to promote um, the one of Kasparov's books, um, Deep Thinking, because I think that's a really interesting look at how technology is also... Um, we're, we're outsourcing a lot of the brain's functions to technology now, but one of the one things that remains is that our, 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 our emotions, like that's one thing that computers struggle with to... like to sort of like well understand and so on like that irrational behavior so that that's a really interesting insight from somebody who's very clued up i think he he's um a consultant for what is it deep mind oh yeah okay yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so that demi 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 habis uh, yeah um but there's and then yeah um what was the other one? Oh, one of the great films i watched recently was alpha go as well so that's back to which is available on netflix but as a film um or documentary film but that's understanding again it's watching this the korean master at the game of go all right okay uh, but again just like appreciating <laughs> watching a guy like the flaws like watching the impact of emotions on one person like because he's playing he's essentially playing a computer and the computers don't feel tired they don't feel emotions they don't yeah and so that they they're relentless in their approach to problem solving whereas the contrast to the i can't think of his name which is doing him an adjustments like this this master at the game go he um he is subjective to emotion mm. Uh, yeah, and um, but there's a lifting point. I won't spoil it, but there's a lifting point in that. But other other okay. books, yeah. Okay, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, anything else? Any other books? Any other recommendations? Any other things? So there, there's one called Mind Gym, which was how I started my journey. I think Mind Gym's a great book for understanding um, how, like, so obviously I've done a lot of physical um, gym work, but like the ex- how that can extend to the mind yeah, okay. and how. And it's it's within a sport context, but I think it's very much transferable to many domains. And there isn't there was a few other ones. I'm just, oh, I tell you what, yeah. So as in terms of tactics and strategy, there's a book called The Book of Five Rings, which was written year um, uh, centuries ago by a Japanese. I think it was Japanese swordsman, um, but he talks about things, and again, that's transferable. Okay. And then the final one, maybe I will the the. So when we've talked briefly, we haven't talked much on it, but flow um, for people who want to understand flow, two books, yeah. um, the rise of the superhuman by Stephen Kotler, and this this is sort of like um, so I know that you like Nancy Klein, is I it? Do. With yeah, time yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, she talks about creating a, a an environment of um, clean language. Well, clean is it clean language or sort of optimizing? So she talks about yeah, sort of constructing yeah. 
The thinking, yeah, maybe, the thinking environment. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. The thinking environment. Well, um, Stephen Kotler talks about creating flow environments. Okay. So, like that optimization of the human performance. And again, I think that's being um, um, directed towards business elements of things. But then also, if you want to get a good grasp of kind of what flow is, but with a cringy um, narration, it's the art of. Um, the Zen of Archery. The Zen of Archery. Okay. Archery, yes. Yeah, yeah. And for anyone who likes mindfulness or anything like that, this is essentially applying like the mindfulness. Uh, well, mindfulness, I think, is a little bit different from Zen. I can't remember because it's more external, whereas mindfulness is internal, is it? But anyway. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, essentially, it's just like, if you talk to anyone, it goes back to what I was saying about the perfect day where I don't think at all. Yeah. Um, it's like that that moment where it's just like you, you can't distinguish the boundaries between. <laughs> it sounds really cringy. The bow, the target, the thing, and it just happens. Yeah, okay. And you don't know how it's happened. It's just happened. It just happened. Okay. Yeah. Good. I like that. Thank you. I will add all of those to the show notes. That's fine. Yeah. All right then, Johnny. Um, yeah. So one of the things that that I'm conscious of, and I don't. Uh, yeah. So you mentioned uh, a couple of times about mental health, and you mentioned that you know that that kind of first period where you where you did your ACL and was a really tough one. Yeah. So, um, but I'm conscious I didn't really pick up on it or, or mention it, and and I go for it. Like I've got no problem with like if you want to spend some time quickly talking about that or in more in depth. I'm not. Yeah. Too... So I, I suppose what because I've done a few different podcasts now about a couple of different mental health aspects. So I've done one on burnout. I've done one on imposter syndrome. Um, so what what was the experience for you then? What was it? You know, what was it around? Um, I so I was a bit. Um, it was well, like I don't want to lower the. T- it was basically suicide. Okay, so depression, yeah, depression, yeah. suicidal thoughts, and that sort of stuff. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I was admitted into hospital, and so yeah. Okay. So yeah. So 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 we'll, I, I talk about it like this. It's for, so I remember my admittance into hospital. I had. <laughs> Sounds quite dark humour, but um, you get a lot... Anything which can be uh, manipulated into a noose, you get taken away from you. So um, I always think of my 18 months as from no shoelaces to no medal. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. That's a, wow. Okay, I like that. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting way of, of, of framing it and looking at it. So what, what I'm thinking I might do is, um, is rather, rather than open that up now... Um, yeah, uh, I'm either going to yeah, we'll we'll have a conversation off air about whether um, about how yeah, if we wanted to go and talk about that, how that would be um, yeah, rather than yeah, rather than open it now if that's all right. Of course, okay. yeah, that's not a problem. Right. Okay, all right. Um, in that case, then, Jono, is there anything else there? Anything else that you're um, thinking, feeling, want to say? No, uh, apart from an overwhelming sense of love towards you, no. <laughs> well, thank you very much. It's, uh, it, it's mutual and, and reciprocal, I can assure you. Um, but I, I really hope that there is something of use in that. No, you, you know what, John? There, there was lots of really, really useful stuff in there. Um, yeah. All the way through from, you know, talking like, like you just mentioned about flow to how you approach the, the coaching work that you do um, at the moment through to the experiences and the self-talk that you gave yourself at, at, at different points. Um, and even the, you know, for me, I've, the the bit of when we were talking about yeah, the ADHD and how that affects you, um, that I find really useful and, and interesting as well. So um, yeah. if, if people want to have a, you know, if people wanted to kind of pick up and, and chat with you, can they find, where would it be best to, for them to find you on Twitter? Yeah, I think it would be Twitter. Yeah. yeah. And what's your Twitter handle? It's at, 
Johnolopidus, and that name came about because I was wondering what my name would be if I was born in Greece. Greece. Okay, so you came up with John Olopidus. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll put I'll put a link to uh, I'll put a link to your Twitter handle in the show notes as well. If, you yeah. Know, just in case people struggle with spelling John Olopidus. Um, <laughs> uh, I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I just want to say a huge thank you, really, Johnny. Thank you very much for oh, no, your time, and then, yeah, it's been great to have you on the podcast. So thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Emotion at Work podcast, written, recorded and presented by Phil Wilcox, edited together by Simon Leverton. You can find more information at emotionatwork.co.uk or follow us on Twitter at, at Phil Wilcox. Thanks for listening.